So I think I recently told you this story, but I'm going to tell it to you again. It's an Old Testament episode uh, out of the life of Solomon, the king of Israel, right? And early in his reign, uh, he asked God for wisdom uh, rather than the kinds of things that most men in his position would ask for. And so God, in his grace, gave him the wisdom he asked for, but he granted him also those things that he didn't ask for but might have. Now, I want to tell you that Solomon was not trying to manipulate God when he asked for wisdom. And what I mean is, is he wasn't scheming to get all those other things that he really wanted by asking only for wisdom. But I think many of you, like me, and I think in our sinful nature, we read that account and we're tempted to do just that kind of thing. We're tempted to ask for something that we we kind of think would be spiritual in nature, and that would please God in order that he'd give us some of those other things that we really want, as though anyone could fool God, right? And the wise person would know that, and he or she would know that you can't get over on God. And the much wiser course would simply be to tell God what's really on your heart and to admit to him that that spiritual thing that you were tempted to ask for so you could get those other things, well, you know you need it, but maybe you don't want it as much as you know you should want it. You know, you... you be honest with God. That's the kind of thing that honors him and which he honors. If you're wise enough to do that, you'll find that God is always giving you just what you need, just where you are in your life, just when you need it. And Solomon really wanted wisdom, and it was given to him, though as we know, if you've been here with us through this study, he did not always ask, act wisely. He did a lot of things which brought him and others much sorrow in their lives. Well, shortly after asking for wisdom, the Old Testament records for us that Solomon was faced with a rather difficult problem which stumped everyone else. Two women who had uh, both had a, a baby and who lived together came to him to settle a dispute. During the night, one of the babies died. And both of the women were claiming the living baby belonged to them. The one was clearly lying and the other was telling the truth, but which one? No one else was able to settle that case, and so it was brought to the king. And Solomon uh, summarized the situation by saying, this one claims the baby is hers, and the other one makes that same claim. And nobody's able to tell the truth, so get me a sword, let's cut this child in half and each... A woman can have a part, right? Now, the one woman agreed to that immediately, but the other one cried out, no, let the baby live, let her keep it. And, and at that point, it was obvious who the real mother was. It was obvious to anyone. Anyone there could see it. But only Solomon had the wisdom to devise the test. And from all of that, I think maybe we're wise enough to make a few observations that can help us as we look at our text today. Wisdom, real wisdom, is not not that false and self-serving thing that we sometimes call wisdom, but real wisdom comes only from God to those who really desire it. Wisdom is subtle. It's sensitive. It's delicate. It's restrained. It's shrewd. And it's amazingly enough available to sinners like us. 
And that brings us to our text today, found in the book which uh, Solomon wrote when we're continuing our study in Ecclesiastes. We're still in chapter 7, but verses 19 through 29 will bring us to its end before moving on into chapter 8 on another day. So you can join me there in your Bibles if you will, or you can follow along as the text is displayed on the screens. We're going to begin with verse 19, which we've actually looked at uh, previously. But it says this, Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. And so verse 9 tells us that there's power and wisdom. And when we put this statement together with the things that we just talked about, we might just think that its power, the power of wisdom, is of a particular kind. And we'd be right. You see, the power of wisdom is that it enables us to live in the right way, to live wisely in the world we live in. It gives us understanding and insight into life. It enables us to live prudently, sensibly, practically, judiciously. Uh, Solomon follows up with an example of its power in verses 21 through 22. He writes this, Do not pay attention to every word that people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So in these days, right, uh, if you had a servant, you had a lot of power over him or her. You, 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 if you heard them, overhear, heard them over, uh, uh, cursing you or you overheard that, you'd be in a position to exact a toll. You could take a kind of vengeance on them. But Solomon's advice is not to pay attention to it. Because, you know, you've done the same kind of thing, haven't you? So you ought to understand. You ought to be understanding. Now, that would be wisdom if you acted that way in that situation. And it's interesting, isn't it, that here the power of wisdom is seen in not exercising another kind of power. But, you know, things really aren't that much different today. I mean, back then, I mean, you could take a whip to a servant, but today you fire them, or you give them bad duty, or you mistreat them, whatever it might be. And when I had a, my business, I had a, a guy who worked for me. Uh, he was kind of grumpy. <laughs> and, and I knew for a fact that he would grumble about me when I wasn't around. It's funny how those things uh, come back to you and you get to know them. But I think I just say this, take warning, those of you who are grumblers, uh, your boss might just hear about it, or maybe already knows. <laughs> now, I can tell you, I could have reprimanded him. I, I could have fired him and hired someone else. I could have given him all the really unpleasant jobs. I could have slighted him when he was around, but I did nothing of the sort. You know, he was actually my highest paid employee. He, he was an excellent carpenter. He was the hardest working one in the bunch. He was reliable, and he always got the job done. And in spite of his grumbling, he really was my friend. He watched out for my business and my interests, and I knew that too. And so I took care of him. I, I overlooked those other things. I mean, if he did defied me to my face, if he'd have been insubordinate, if he'd have grumbled in front of the customers, I would have had to do something else. But that's never required of me. He got frustrated, he would vent, and he did his job excellently. What more could I ask for, really? 
You see, there's a power in that. It was wisdom there. It benefited me and my business. It it benefited him and his family. And no one was the poorer for it. It wasn't the natural thing to do, though, was it? I mean, we know what the natural thing is, don't we? Yeah, we do. (laughs) We, We know all too well. I don't even have to say what it is because we know it already. And Solomon did too. In fact, he pointed it out before he offered that example of wisdom. After telling us there's power in wisdom, he goes on in verse 20 to state the fact that indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does right and never sins. You see, it's in our nature to sin. It's something we have to overcome. And that statement is just a reminder that set up perfectly what he had to say about that servant cursing his or her masters. We are sinners, and we are tempted to get vengeance whenever we can. But we ought to be gracious. But truly, and I, 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 I don't know what, what to say. I don't know whether to use the word amazing or wonderful or insightful or astounding. I don't know what the right adjective is here. But wisdom is available to sinful people like you and me. (laughs) As one old friend used to say, that ought to knock your socks off. (laughs) That you and I, as sinful as we are, are offered God's wisdom. And that's where it comes from, you know. It comes from God. We don't earn it, uh, but we're responsible for it. If we look for it, we'll find it. If we call for it, it answers. If we act on the wisdom we have, we'll go rise or still, but it all comes from God, and it's available to the sinner. It's available to you and I. So wisdom stands like a, a kind of a solid handrail as we stand on the slippery slope of sin. I mean, we we didn't make the handrail. We didn't earn it. It's there for us to grab hold of. If we don't take hold of it, um, we'll start to slide and we'll fall. God doesn't ever say to us, I get a little bit higher up on that hill there and I'll give you something to hold on to. No, that, that thing is there already. And God's saying, reach out your hand and take hold of it. And if you do, you will stand. And when we don't reach out, we slide further down that hill. We discover that the handrail is still there. It's still available to us, even though we're sinners, even though we have ignored God, and even though we have ignored his advice. God wants us to take hold of it. He wants us to live wisely in this world, even though we're sinners. And he wants that because he loves us. And so there's power in wisdom. It's not a worldly kind of power. It's a power to live an upright life in this dark world. It's a wisdom that comes from God, and it's for us. It's for you and for me. For all of us that don't get it right. Not even half the time. And yet, in this section of Scripture we're looking at, it's not just that you and I stand on a slippery slope of sin. The world we live in is itself wild 
and strange and unsure. At least that's where Solomon turns to next in verses 23 and 24. He says this, all of this I tested by wisdom, and I said I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is is far off and most profound, and who can discover it? You know, the Hebrew there actually reads that reality. That's what Solomon's talking about. It's so far off that you you can't discern it. It's so deep. Oh, it's it's deep. The first picture is... uh, something profound that that's sitting off on the very edge of the horizon and you know it's there and you know it's something big but you you can't discern what it really is uh, and that second picture is uh, that word picture there is, is seems to be that of dark waters that are moving stealthily and they're of an unmeasured depth and nothing can be discerned there it's hidden away it's too deep for our understanding verse 25 gives us more detail of what solomon efforts to understand our world and when he determined to be wise and we read this so i turned my mind to understand to investigate to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of a folly You see, wisdom will tell us how to live in this world, but we can't get to the bottom of the whys and the hows necessarily. Maybe never. He tried to understand wisdom wisdom and why it was wise. He attempted to figure out the scheme of things, how things work, and not merely how the physical world worked. That's easy by comparison. Discovering the laws of physics and even Einstein's relativity are small in comparison. And yet, even knowing how things move, once they're set in motion, does not tell us why they were set in motion. And some pictures that we see out there are too big for us to see them all at once. The most we ever get is a small glimpse of the whole. And even more of a mystery is why human beings do the things they do and act the way they act. They think the things they think. I mean, we can blame it on sin, and it's true, but we still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And Solomon even tried to understand insanity and stupidity of sin, and all to no avail. The wisest man who was just a man could not plumb those depths. I mean, Jesus Christ knew. He He understood. He knew humankind. He knew what was in a man, in a woman. He knew what was in us, but we don't. We can't fathom those depths. We can live wisely in this world. God gives us that kind of wisdom, but we'll never comprehend it all. So it's not just that we have sin that's working against us, but we live in this world that we really can't fully comprehend. It's too complex. It's too complicated. And we've already been told in another time that as we make our way through this world, that we're not in control of the things that are here. But maybe it's even worse than that because we don't even understand why the things happen that happen. And yet, though the world is wild and strange and unsure, we can still live wisely. So the farmer plants his crops. He's hoping for a harvest. The rain doesn't come. Or it comes blowing a hurricane and the plants are wiped out. So the farmer plants again a different crop that yields less but grows faster. 
and no one knows what will happen or why, but they still act in wisdom. If the new crop fails, there are farm animals that get them through the winter. There's bounty stored up from the previous year. There's wild game and there's fish. We don't know what will happen because we don't understand why it will happen. And we certainly can't control it, but we can still act wisely in this world. And when the bad things come into our lives, some of you, some of you know that very well. When they come into our lives, we can't stop them. We don't control them. We don't understand them. We don't know why they've come. All we can do is make the best of it. We can live wisely, even when the times are terrible. You see, that there's power in that. It's a power of a kind that a world doesn't know or understand. Wisdom there for people sinners like us, from God who loves us and who wants us to live wisely. As we read on in the text, the next thing we come to almost seems out of place, but, but seen in the right light, uh, it fits right in to what we're talking about. And So God wants us to live wisely in the world, but I guess as we have our own sinful nature and the world we live in, we can't control and fully understand but there's also these traps that are set to ensnare us all along the way. That's what verse 26 tells us. I, I find more bitter than death a woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Now, all, all, all along the way, there are things in our life on the path that we tread that will take us prisoner if we don't walk in wisdom. And I need to make a couple observations about this verse which will help us to understand it. And first, and I want to get it out of the way, I'll remind you that last week we looked at this verse in order to, uh, to uh, diffuse it and the difficulty that it will present to some. And I'm not going to go over that uh, again today. Uh, what we can say right now is that Solomon is... Uh, not at all being a sexist here. Our cultures have moved away from it, uh, but Solomon is using a kind of shorthand speech. Uh, it's common throughout the world and throughout history where the male stands for the female and they stand for one another. So he's not implying here that men are mere victims and only women are snares. Rather, what he is means is that there are both men and women who are traps. And either sex can be taken captive. Now, last week's message is online, and you can listen to it if you have any questions, or you can call me in and we'll talk. But this is not a sexist statement. The second thing I want to note is just how descriptive and powerful the language is here. Listen to it. You adulterous people. Uh, That person is a trap. Their heart is a snare. Their hands are like chains. They are more bitter than death. Being ensnared by them seems worse than dying. And and if not to the one who's ensnared, certainly for those around him or her. The worm hides the hook. The cheese is set in a trap. The light which draws the moth is really a a flame. Something more bitter than death is laying wait 
for you. And Solomon knew that from personal experience. He saw the devastation his father David brought on his family by that kind of sin. And he knew it too in his own life for he went down that same kind of path. And you and I, we're not as wise or as great as those people, but we don't have to make their mistakes. We can learn from their sadness, and we can live wisely in this world. We must also understand that that's not the only trap that's out there. There are others. Look, if you're not careful, a bottle will suck the life out of you. Drugs will make your life and the lives of your loved ones a kind of a living hell. You can become addicted to the gambling and you can lose everything you have, including your family. You can chase money or fame or power until it catches you. And you bow down to any one of those things and it becomes your master and there is no limits to its cruelty or its bondage. And any and all of those things are traps ensnaring your soul and locking you up in in a kind of a prison. Now you may escape... Not everyone does. But there's a bitterness that's worse than death uh, as long as you're enslaved and often for a long time afterwards. But why this particular example? I mean, I mean, Solomon could have chosen some of the other things I've mentioned, couldn't he? And he does talk about those other things in other places, some even in this book. But why this one here? Well, I think it's because it was as common then as it is now. I, I mean, it maybe is more out in the open now, but, uh, but it, it's just as common back then as it was. Those traps are everywhere. And many of them are kind of blatant. They're out there for you to see, and some of them are hidden in places you would not expect. And then, too, I think because of all of the traps and snares that are out there, I think this one lies the sweetest. It, it, it makes the biggest promises and threats. This person, it whispers to you, this is one person who can make you really happy. Miss this and you're going to miss it all. It sounds so appealing, but it's all lies, bitterness, pain, darkness, sadness, sorrow, cobwebs, dust. All of that lies down that path. And yet the teeth of that trap are more cleverly hidden than the others. You think you're playing with a kitten, but a lion has you in its mouth. It's only playing with its prey before it finally bites. It's rampant in our culture. And it's sad that it invades the church. And that's just one of the traps. The last thing I want us to see here is the two terms that are juxtaposed. Uh, The one who pleases God will escape those snares, but the sinner will be caught. And you're going to say to me, but aren't we all sinners? And, um, And the answer is yes, we are. But when you take hold of that handrail, when you stand on that slippery slope of sin, when you are, in fact, are walking with God as you make your way through this life, how will you please him and you escape the snares in life? But ignore that handrail, turn a blind eye to it, 
Turn your back on God who's there for you, and all that's left is the sinner. Alone, unprotected, without any support, a victim waiting to be victimized. But we can back wisely. We don't have to be a victim. There's power and wisdom, a power from God, a power to live this life in this dark world. Wisdom for you who knows that temptation. The wisdom for you who maybe given in to those temptations. The wisdom that can deliver you and make your life whole again. Which brings us to the next two verses, making up one compound and complex sentence. A passage that we looked at last week, also because of the potential there, uh, as it's written, to cause someone to stumble. But the sentence, nonetheless, this sentence, uh, when it's properly understood, becomes a kind of a really an occasion for a real and not imagined happiness. And so let's read in verses 27 and 28. Look, says the teacher, this is what I discovered, along adding one thing uh, to another to discover the scheme of things. Solomon, she's, she's trying to figure out how life works here, right? He says, while I was still searching but not finding... I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them at all. And again, we can't go over it all as we did last week when we discussed this sentence. And you can listen to that message online or or call me if you need to talk. But in the Hebrew, uh, the language uh, that this was written in, the word upright isn't there in a passage at all. Solomon's simply saying this. As he looked at life, he found one, per, one man in a thousand, but not one woman among them all. He's not making any kind of evaluation of their moral character. And what Solomon seems to be saying here is that as he lived out his life, as he tried to understand things, life didn't often make sense. But in the process of living out life and trying to understand, he found one man here and another one there, not many, but some, that he connected with where they had something in common. I said it last week, I said it again, men need men to be better men. Just as women need women to be better women, but for the men, those connections are harder to make, and we really are the poorer for it. Solomon never made that connection with a female, and maybe it's just as well because of the danger there is in a relationship like that. The lines blur easily. If there is a female out there that I can make that kind of connection with, and I know there is, I guard my heart. I, I do not set foot on that path. Now, you can call me a sexist if you'd like, but I know in this matter I'm a realist. But there's joy in this compound, complex sentence for all the confusion in our world, for all of our sinfulness, for all the traps and snares which line our path. There are those people out there who will help you on your journey. One out of a thousand maybe, but they're there. And a wise man or woman finds them and makes them their friend. It's the commonplace bit of wisdom, right? Everyone knows if you're a Christian, you need accountability. That's exactly what Solomon's saying here. You make those kinds of connections, you've met your accountability partners. Now, that's living wisely, my friends. And, uh, and wisdom 
That wisdom is available. And we need it because our path is filled with snares. And we're called to live an upright life. Which brings us to the end of this passage. (laughs) And the last verse that we're going to look at this morning, which tells us one more reason that we need wisdom. And some encouragement along the way. Verse 29, this only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So understand this. Not only are we sinners, not only is our world wild and strange and unsure, and we can't know it and we can't control it, not only are there a lot of snares along our paths, our world is in rebellion against God who in the beginning made it and us upright and good. But the world has gone its own way, and it continues to go its own way. It's going every way but toward God. And if you've made up your mind to walk with God, you're going to be going against the flow. Peter tells us in the first letter he wrote in chapter 4, verse 4, that they, meaning the people of this world, are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse upon you. In John 15, the words of Jesus, he said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. See, that world is rushing down, headlong down that slippery slope of slim, which we're trying to walk up. And Solomon, when he was considering the scheme of things and how things worked, well, he pretty much came up empty-handed in that way. He knew wisdom was good. He knew living and enjoying the life that God has given us is good. He knew that certain things were evil in this world, and all of that I think he knew by experience. He never got behind it all to know the why and how. The one thing he understood is why the things are the way they are, revealed in Scripture, is because God created us in this world in a good state. And we fell. And everybody is chasing after all kinds of other things. You and I stand on that slippery slope of sin, and the world is wild and strange and unsure, and our path is laid with snares and the world is rushing past us running in the opposite direction creating a current that would draw us in and wisdom stands like a handrail for us sinners though we are and there are friends along the way that'll help they'll help you find that way and walk that way if you only have the wisdom to look for them and find them and embrace You know, when I thought about all of this, it seemed to me, as I thought about it, that so much, almost everything, it seems as though it depends on us. It depends on us reaching out and taking a hold of that handrail and maybe to have the hands of a few good friends. You know, it often feels that way, doesn't it? But doesn't that remind you of yet uh, another passage in Philippians where, where the believer is told this, work out your salvation in fear and trembling 
And you read that and it seems like everything depends on us. But the verse goes on to say, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to accomplish his good purpose as though everything depends on God. When you make your world, way through this uncertain world and the slippery slope of sin and all the snares that are laid out there to capture you with the world calling your name, calling you to come and join them, if you feel like you're wise enough, if, if you feel like you're not wise enough and if you don't know the way to wisdom, turn to God who will be wisdom for you who knows the way, and he will walk that way with you. If you feel like you're alone in this world and that you have no friends, and sometimes we all feel that way, don't we? You feel like no one understands. Turn to God who knows you better than you know yourself and who is the best friend you could ever have. If you feel weak, if you feel as though your strength is almost gone, you know where to turn, don't you? To God, who will give you strength, who will bear you up on wings like eagles. You are not in this alone. No, never are you in this alone. It only feels that way. And it only feels that way sometimes. Live in wisdom. Walk with God. Be the light. And make a difference. Because I love you. And more importantly, God loved you. And gave his son Be the light. Would you pray with me? Father, um, just help us to, uh, to cast ourselves on you and on your care. To let you hold us, carry us whenever we need that. And in those times, Lord, when we find that um, we're standing, help us to keep standing. Help us to stand for you. Help us to make a statement by the way we live. Help us to show this dark, lost world the way to go. Help us to lead them to you, to the cross. Fill us with your spirit. And empower us when we leave here, this day and every day. In Jesus' name.